0: I'm reminded of the Christmas classic, the Christmas story, and a time in the movie where the old man Parker, Ralphie, and Randy's dad received a Christmas gift that would become iconic at best. It was that large wooden crate marked fragile, or how the old man would say it fragile, must be Italian. Inside that crate would be a gift that no one, especially Ralphie and Randy's mom, would ever forget. That classic lamp of sorts of a woman's leg. And of everything in that movie, one of the most iconic props was this leg lamp. In fact, it became so popular that it was used by some as a costume. Or it was added to Christmas Nutcrackers. Or my favorite, it was built as a 40-foot replica in the center of town in a small town in Oklahoma this year. I'm sure it was surprising to see what was pulled out of that crate and the reaction of the entire family. It was something that no one could have expected. But I think there's a spiritual truth here. It's that oftentimes God's gifts to us are packaged differently than we could expect. Could it be that the things that we want most from God come in packages that we don't even know are being delivered? But somehow they arrive at the perfect time and when we open these things and we put them to use, these gifts have the ability to change our lives forever. See, there's a story of a man who was, a young man who was about to graduate college. And for years, the young man wanted his father to buy him a car for graduation. So graduation was coming up, and he went down to the local dealership and looked at all the sports cars and the luxury cars. And he picked out the exact one he wanted. He knew that his dad was a successful businessman. He knew that he could afford it. And so he picked out the luxury car with the best interior, with the perfect color, with everything that he wanted. And he went and he said, Dad, this is the car I want. And so graduation approaches and his dad tells him to come into his office, that he has a gift for him. And he sits him down and he presents him with a box. And in that box, he opens it up and he sees a Bible with his name written on it. The son became upset. He yelled at his father. He said, with all that money you have, this is all you give me? A lousy old Bible? And he stands up out of the chair and he storms out of the house. And he never came back. Years went by. The young man grew up. He got a successful job. He started a family. And he would often think about his dad. And he realized that his father was just getting older and older. And he hadn't seen him since the day he graduated and ran out of the house. It was then that he was preparing to go back to visit his dad. He felt bad, he felt guilty, and he received a phone call. The phone call told him that his father had passed away and that his father had left him all of his possessions as an inheritance. And he was told that he needed to come immediately to help them figure out some of the last-minute arrangements. So when the son arrived at the father's house, he was filled with sadness, he was filled with regret. And he began to search through all the documents, all the paperwork, and he found that box with the Bible in it from years ago. Just like he left it. The Bible with his name engraved on it and everything. Like it hadn't been touched. So he opened the Bible. And he began to flip through the pages. As he's thinking about his dad, and he sees that there's a Bible verse that's highlighted. It's Matthew seven eleven, Which says, If you then, who are evil... Know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father who is in heaven give good gifts to those who ask him? So he read these words, and it seemed as if something was stuck behind the Bible. So he took the Bible and he shook it, and out came those car keys for that exact car that he wanted. And on the car keys, there was a tag, and it said, Paid in full. See, aren't we often like the young man in that story? That God gives us gifts, his blessings for us, but rarely are they ever packaged the way that we expect them to be. See, as we begin to understand just how gracious and generous God is, we start to see how much greater his gifts are than anything we could ever ask or imagine. Romans 8.32 says this, and this is our main text for today. It says, he who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us, how will he not also with him graciously give us all things. So during the series we've looked at the gifts of Christmas and we've looked at a bunch of different things that God gives us as a gift through Jesus. The first week was that the was the gift of God's son that Jesus was sent, crucified for our sins, risen from the grave, promising us a new life. We learned about the gift of salvation, the ability to receive Jesus and experience eternal life with God. We learned about the gift of righteousness, the ability to walk out our salvation and live a life that honors God. We talked about the gift of eternal life, the hope that heaven is our home, that we don't need to fear trials or tribulations in this world because we have an eternity to look forward to. And today, to conclude our series, we will discover the gift of God's provision, the gift of God's provision. So in our text, Paul writes that God has graciously given us all things. I want us to focus just in a moment for that word, graciously. Grace means unmerited favor. It's a very easy thing to remember. Grace equals unmerited favor. That is, favor that is given to you by God that you did not earn and that you do not deserve. And so Paul begins by talking about these gifts from God as something that is not earned by us and is not something that we deserve. They aren't something that we get because we're good Christians or because we attend church. It's not something that is a result of our behavior or our involvement in ministry. The things given to us by God are given to us graciously, meaning they're given to us because God is good, not us. It's not given to us because of us. It's given to us in spite of us because of who God is. God is Jehovah Jireh, which means God is the God that provides. And so he who did not spare his own son but gave him up for us all, how will he not also with him graciously give us all things? Not only would God give you Jesus, give up his son for you, which, by the way, is plenty. (laughs) That That is great, God. Thank you for that. But he graciously gives you everything else you need. One theologian said it this way. Could it be possible that God would so love an individual as to give his only son to die for him and still love him to the extent of following him with the pleadings and the drawings of his grace until he has won that soul into his own family and created him anew by, by the impartation of his own divine nature and then be careless as to what becomes of the one in whom he's given everything to. In other words, is God going to go through all the trouble it took to send his only begotten son, Jesus Christ, to earth, to live a sinless life, to be mocked, cursed, beaten, killed, murdered on the cross, buried in a cold tomb, risen from the grave, only to forget about you? Does sending Jesus not communicate God's love to you? If he loves you so much to give up everything, then he will provide all that you need. And friends, I know that's hard to believe sometimes. It's hard to believe that God will always provide when we are in seasons where it feels like everything around us is falling apart. When we have these moments where it feels like every time we take a step forward, we take three steps back. But the beauty of a relationship with God is that we can believe with full assurance that God will provide for us for all things. And he does that by three more gifts that I want to talk to you about this morning. The first of these gifts is the gift of a new ability. The gift of a new ability. 1 Corinthians chapter 2 says, Now we have received not the spirit of the world, but the spirit of who is from God, that we might understand things freely given to us by God. And so when you become a believer in Jesus, when you place your faith in Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior, the Holy Spirit indwells the life of a believer. That means if you've repented from your sins and received Jesus as your Lord and Savior, then the same Spirit that rose Jesus from the grave indwells you, lives within you. But sometimes when people say the Holy Spirit, people get a little nervous. They think about the televangelists on TV and people falling over. They think about the way the Holy Spirit has been abused and mistaught in churches. But John fourteen six says that the Holy Spirit is our helper, our Comforter, who is with us forever. Now, first and foremost, the Holy Spirit is the third person of the Trinity, the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is God's power. I love this, though, that the Holy Spirit cannot be claimed as a mark of an elite. The gospel of Jesus Christ includes the message that the Holy Spirit has been poured out on all flesh. So the Holy Spirit is not just for super-Christians. Every person who places their faith in Jesus Christ receives the indwelling power of the Holy Spirit. And these abilities are what we have through Christ, and they are called the fruits of the Spirit. These things ought to be evident in the life of the believer if the Holy Spirit is active and working in their life. So many of us, if we know anything about the Holy Spirit, we like to focus on the gifts of the Holy Spirit, but if you claim to have the gifts of the Holy Spirit, but you don't have the fruit of the Holy Spirit, then you're not doing it right. Galatians chapter 5 says this, but the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such thing there is no law. So apart from the Holy Spirit's presence in your life, you can't attain these things. You might think you're a nice person, You might think you do good things, you might think you know how to love others, but if you don't have the Holy Spirit, if you don't have Jesus in your life, you're really not loving the best that you can love. You're really not caring the best that you can care. You cannot truly love without first experiencing God's love for you. You cannot have joy apart from the joy that we have in Jesus Christ. You cannot have peace without the gospel that brings peace to your soul. You cannot have patience without understanding God's patience towards us. You cannot be kind without recognizing the kindness displayed to us through the sacrifice of Christ. You cannot have goodness because apart from Christ, no one is good. You cannot have faithfulness without having faith in Jesus Christ. You cannot be gentle without recognizing that God could have chosen wrath But instead, he chose gentleness. You cannot have self-control without first dying to yourself and being made new in Christ. And so the Holy Spirit is the gift of a new ability to live our lives in tune with the character of God. And when we go through trial or tribulation, when crisis or chaos hits our lives, we can quickly discover if we're using these gifts. Imagine for a second that you're holding a cup of coffee. Some of you guys are this morning, which is great. But imagine for a moment that you're holding a cup of coffee and someone bumps into you causing you to spill what's in that coffee cup. You didn't spill tea if you had coffee in the cup. You didn't spill soda or water if you had coffee in the cup. You spilled coffee because coffee is what was in the cup. Make sense? If you had tea in your cup, you would have spilled tea. The point is, whatever is inside of your cup, is what will spill out if it's bumped or shaken. We, someone said, hello. <laughs> you see, we are each a vessel. And not unlike the cup, listen, looking from the outside, it's just a cup. You can't see what's inside of it. You can't see what it contains. Some people get nice fancy cups. They spend a lot of money on making their cup look good. But they don't take time to see what they're actually filling it with. One preacher said it this way, what you are filled with is what you'll be led by. And some of us say that we're filled with one thing, but we're actually really filled with another thing. We have to ask ourselves, what's inside of our cup? Is it love? Is it joy? Is it peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, self-control? Or is it anger, bitterness, impatientness, mean-spiritedness, ill-will, faithlessness, harshness, lack of discipline? It's easy to fake it, walk around with our nice life, polished up. But the real test is when something bumps into you, when you hit that rocky road, put a little bit of trial, put a little bit of temptation, a little bit of irritation, a little bit of conflict, a little bit of inconvenience, God forbid that we're inconvenienced these days, then what is inside of your heart will come spilling out. And so fill yourself with the fruits of the Spirit so that the goodness that lights within your soul will spill out and be a testimony to others of Christ in your life. You see, it's through Christ that we're given the gift of a new ability, but also the gift of a new identity. John 1.12 says, But to all who did receive them, that's those who have received Christ, who believed in his name, we give the right to become children of God. So for those who have accepted Jesus... Your identity has changed. You are adopted into the family of God. When you accept Jesus as your Savior, your status before God changed. You are given a new identity because now you are together with Christ. Romans 6, 5 says, For if we are united with him in a death like his, we shall shall certainly be united with him in a resurrection like his. And since a believer's identity is in Christ, then you are planted with him. This idea of having your identity in Christ introduces to us what I want to present this morning, which is called the seven togethers. And there'll be a quiz after the service, so make sure you have these. But in each each occurrence, we are identified with Christ. So if you ask yourself, or maybe the devil likes to give you a lie in your head that your identity isn't in Christ, remind yourself of these seven things from Scripture. The first is... That we are planted together in death. This brings us back to the verse I just read, Romans 6, 5. Paul says, if we are united with him in death, we shall be united with him in a resurrection. So we are planted together in death with Jesus. We are united with Jesus in death. Our old self has died. We are crucified on the cross with Jesus. And when we become believers, we let go of our old self. Our old self dies. The second thing. We are made alive together. Ephesians 2, 5. Even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ by grace, unmerited favor, you have been saved. We died with Christ. We rise with Christ. When Jesus rose from the dead, he defeated death, giving us new life. Third, we are raised together. Ephesians chapter 2, verse 6. And raised up, up with him. Not only have you been raised spiritually, but you have been brought up to a new position, seated with Christ in heaven. Number four, set together. It's the second part of that verse, Ephesians 2.6. And seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. So we are seated in Christ. The moment you're saved, your status before God changes and you continue Your life in a new position, seated in Christ in heaven. Your standing before God has changed. And as a result of that, number five, we are workmen together. First Corinthians chapter three, verse nine, for we are God's fellow workers. You are God's field, God's building. As Christians, we are co-laborers with Christ. As the body of Christ, which we are adopted into, right? We're adopted into the family of God. As a result of our new identity, we are now workmen in this world. It changes the way that we live. We are saved from sin. We're not saved from sin for ourselves. I don't just get saved and that's it. We are saved from sin for God. So I go from living a life for sin to living a life for God. God, I'm yours. You gave me a new life. I'm going to live it for you. We are workmen together with him. Number six live together with him. 1 Thessalonians chapter 5 says for God has not destined us for wrath but to obtain salvation through our Lord Jesus Christ who died for us so that whatever we are whenever we are awake or asleep we might live with him. We live with God because his presence is within us. We don't have to go through this life alone. The Holy Spirit isn't only present during specific moments when the lights are right and the bass is loud. The Holy Spirit is present every single single moment of every single day. The hotline to heaven is not only available during normal business hours, okay? Any moment you're in, no matter what the situation is, no matter how sad you feel, how happy you feel, no matter how many people are around or if you're all alone, you can call on the name of Jesus and he is faithful to pick up. Every single time. The seventh together is that we are glorified together. Romans chapter 8 verse 17. And if children, then heirs, heirs of God and fellow heirs of Christ, provided we suffer with him in order that we may also be glorified with him. And so here we have a promise from God. And spoiler alert, God doesn't break promises of an eternal reality that we are all glorified in the presence of God. The hope of heaven is a place where there is no more sickness. There is no more tears. There is no more addiction. There's no more fear. There's no more anxiety. There's no more pain, grief, loss, those things that weigh us down. When we are glorified in the presence of God, we have the hope of heaven. And that is a reality for anyone who calls on the name of Jesus to be saved. And so our identity with Christ, these things are not dreams. These things are not wishes. This is not, I hope that this happens. No, these are truth. They're from the scriptures. They are true and reality for each of us. And in 1 Peter 2, 9, it says this, But you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession, that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. We are saved from our sin and we are saved for God. We are saved out of darkness and into the light. If we know Jesus as our personal savior, we have entered into a unique relationship with God. As far as God is concerned, we possess the righteousness of Christ. That means we're perfect in his sight. That doesn't mean we're not going to mess up. But our status has changed. We're entitled to all the privileges of one who is a child of God. We are a royal priesthood. So it's through Christ that we're given the gift of a new ability, the gift of a new identity, and lastly, the gift of a new community. If the Holy Spirit has given you the ability to live for God, and you have recognized that a relationship with God changes your identity before God, Then the next progression is a new community, a community of believers that are chasing after God together. Ephesians chapter 2 says, So then if you are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God. Listen to that real quick. You are no longer strangers, but you are fellow citizens. If you are a believer in the room, you are a citizen of heaven. And what that means is, and I want to encourage you with this this morning is, you might turn on the news, you might read whatever's online about everything going on in our world. What's the new chaos? What's the new problem? You might become discouraged. You may even feel like, man, I don't know why I'm here. I don't know what I'm going through. You're right. You're not supposed to be here because you're a citizen of heaven. And so you will go through life facing these issues. You will have moments where it feels like there's no reason. Things don't make sense. Things don't add up. Things are not just right, right, right. Things are not just right because your home is not here. This is our mission field. We are here for a moment. Built on the foundation of the apostles and the prophets, Christ Jesus himself is the cornerstone. That's verse 20. But if we have been made known to God, Through the sacrifice of Christ and the indwelling of the Holy Spirit, then we have become adopted by God and our identity is changed. I don't know what your family story is like. I didn't share this first service and God just laid it on my heart this morning. I don't know what your family structure is like. I don't know if you knew both your parents. I don't know if you grew up with parents, without parents. Maybe you got to experience the wondrous work of adoption. Whatever your life looks like, no matter how your relationship is with your father or not, You might have the best family in the whole wide world. You might have the Hallmark family. (laughs) Or you might have a family that you can't talk about in church because it's just too rough. You are adopted into the family of God. So you have a heavenly family. And so we gather as saints, members of the households of God, with one mission to reach the world with the same gospel that transformed our heart. You see, the community we're talking about here is the church. Now, church is more than a building, It's more than a place to go or another box on your schedule. Church is more than a Sunday worship service or a place for free bagels. Not today, but usually. It's more than something for your kids to do. In fact, church isn't any of those things. Church isn't even the seats in this auditorium. Church is the one sitting in those seats. And so a church was once defined this way. A church is an assembly of born-again believers in whom Christ dwells by the holy spirit, an assembly that exists for the glory of God under the discipline of the word of God and spiritually prepared to carry out the great commission, the work of God. But so many of us we don't view church through those lenses. See, we see church as a place that we go, not a thing that we are. We see church through how we can consume or what we can get out of it, not what we can give to it. And so there's an old po- an old poem I want to share with you that I love. The poem is called How to Kill a Church. Never go to your church or meetings held there. If you do, go late. No one will care. If the weather is bad, either too hot or snowing, just stay home and rest, for there'll be others going. But should you attend, be sure and remember to find fault with the work, each official and member. Be sure to hold back your offerings and tithes. The bills will be paid by the rest of the guys. And never take office if you're offered the post, but eagerly criticize the work of the host. If not on a committee that you're placed, be sore. If you find that you are, well, don't attend anymore. When asked your opinion on things, this or that, have nothing to say, just turn them down flat. Then after the meeting, shine out like the sun by telling other folks how it should have been done. Don't do any more than you possibly can. Leave the work for some other woman or man, and then when you see faithful ones work themselves sick, stand up and holler, this church is run by a clique. Jesus promises in Matthew 16 that I will build my church. It's an institution, it's an organism that he created, so we must carefully study its nature and determine if we are building our churches to fulfill patterns that Jesus began. Today, the church is still really near and dear to the heart of God. Ephesians 5 says, even as Christ loved the church, he gave himself for it. So because of its priority, every Christian needs to belong to and involve themselves in the ministry of a good church. And maybe Bayside is that church for you. And maybe it's not. And as one of your pastors, let me tell you that that's okay. It's okay if this is not the church for you. But what is not okay is a believer not being part of a church at all. You see, there's a movement amongst Christians and Christian culture that church involvement is an optional thing for the believer. Now, will you go to hell if you don't go to church? No. But you might be lonely. You might struggle more. You may find yourself not growing and not connected. Your Bible study that you're involved with is a great thing, but it is not a substitute for church. Your Christian school... Your homeschool group, your Christian concerts, your comedy shows, they're not substitutions for church. Watching the sermon later because you had other plans or you just wanted to sleep in, that is not a substitution for church. I've heard people say to me, I've done enough Christian things this week, I can skip a Sunday. Watching a sermon online, listening to Christian worship, having a Bible study with a friend, these are great things, but they are not substitution for the church. You see, although your relationship with Jesus Christ is a personal relationship, you're not meant to go through the Christian life alone. Remember that the church, the community of believers, is a gift from God. And so I want you to walk into church each week as if it's a gift. Don't come in saying, oh, I have to be here again, but wow, I get to be here. Don't come in saying, do we have to go to church? But say, I can't wait to go to church. Don't come in wondering, am I going to learn anything this week? But come in saying, God, I want you to show me who you are this week. That changes everything. Now remember, the church is a huddle. This is where we come and we gather. We strategize. We equip. The game, that's played during the week. That's when we walk out of these doors. That's when we go back to our schools, our jobs, our families, our friends. This is the huddle. This is where we come to get recharged. This is where we come for the battle plans, the gameplay, the correction, the help that we need. We are the church all week long. Not just on Sundays, not just when we feel it, but all week long. And so through Christ, we are given the gift of a new ability, the gift of a new identity, and the gift of a new community. Now, I know we went through a lot of different Bible verses today in one sermon But do you remember the one that set up the whole conversation? It was Romans 8.32. He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also with him graciously give us all things? So for those who don't know Jesus, it might feel weird to see Christians relying on God for everything. But why wouldn't you? I mean, God has 100% approval rating. He's never lost He's undefeated. He's never made a mistake. He's never failed. He's always shown up on time. He's always been there. And so, if God can provide for us Jesus, then why can't He provide for all your other needs? If God could give us the Holy Spirit, a new identity, and a church community to share life with, then why can't we trust Him to handle our other needs? Is it because there's an enemy? Is it because there's an opposition? Is it because there's a constant war for our attention, our soul? See, we recognize that there's a battle that's not flesh and bone; that there's a spiritual battle going on. That if the enemy can distract the Christian from what God has promised, then he can stop him from doing what God has wanted him to do. It's interesting here that this verse that we're sharing this morning doesn't end here. This is just the beginning. And that's not a nice little saying that I wrote. It's not a nice little saying that Pastor Dave wrote. That's the hand of God in our scriptures telling us that if all these things are possible, nothing will separate us from the love of God. And so during this series, we look to have some of these amazing gifts of Christmas that God has given to us from Jesus. Remember, he gave us the gift of God's son, Jesus crucified for our sins. The gift of salvation, the ability to receive Jesus and experience eternal life. The gift of righteousness, the ability to walk in our salvation and live a life that is honoring and pleasing to God. The gift of eternal life, the hope that heaven is our home, that we do not have to fear trials and tribulations of this world because we have an eternity to look forward to. And today we conclude with this, the gift of God's provision, that God gives us his best gifts, that God gives us a new ability through the power of the Holy Spirit to live our lives for him, That God gives us a new identity, that in Christ, we are new creations. That God gives us a community, that the church is more than a building. It's a community of people that we get to walk through life with. God has given us all that we need in Jesus. And surely, he will take care of all of our other needs. Let's pray together. Lord God, we thank you this morning that we don't have to hope that you'll be there We don't have to hope that you're listening. We know beyond a shadow of a doubt that you are present with us. And Father, I ask right now that the Holy Spirit will bring comfort to the hearts of those today who are weary. Who maybe have gone through a rough holiday season. Who maybe felt that this Christmas was the Christmas from the enemy. Or maybe they had a great weekend. Whatever the situation, God. I pray that their hearts would be comforted by the truth of the gospel. That you saw us in the midst of our sin and you did not leave us there. But instead, you came down from heaven, died the death we should have died, and gave us new life. So, Father, I pray we would take that out of here this morning, that we'd recognize the greatest gift is you, Jesus. And because of that, we don't have to fear that you will provide for us in any other way. In Jesus' name, everyone said, amen.